woman we've asked this weekend to share um, her experience, strength, and hope is going to kick us off with her lead tonight. And here is Marie from Fort Myers, Florida. Hi, my name is Marie, and I'm an alcoholic. Oh, my gosh, you guys are just so beautiful. You really are. You can see it in all your eyes and in the aura of the room. Thank you, Carol, for asking me to come on up here and share my experience, strength, and hope. It's always an honor to do anything for Alcoholics Anonymous. And there was a day where I went, oh, are you kidding me? You know, so I'm really, really happy to be here. And I'm really very nervous because I don't share my story all that much, but Carol has asked me, so here I am. My sobriety date is December 11th, 1994. I have a sponsor. Her name is Beth Beth H. Beth H. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Erase that, will you, Mr. Taper? Thank you so much. Uh, the sobriety, um, I do sponsor. I have a sponsor, and I am sponsored. She knows my children's name. And I also do sponsor, and I sponsor other women, and they sponsor. You see, because I do that so that I'm in the middle of that herd. You know, if you ever watch a natural geographic thing, I'm telling you, I'm the antelope in the back getting killed with the lambs, you know, with, with by the lions, you know. So anyway, so I'm supposed to tell you what it was what I was like, what happened and what I'm like now. You know, when I look backwards over my left shoulder, I go, Who was that woman? And I look today and go, Who is that woman? You know, so it's, it's um, the changes that have happened in Alcoholics Anonymous are due because of you. It's done because of sponsorship. It's done because of this God that I found that I kind of lost, but, you know, it's like Dorothy's red shoes and the Wizard of Oz. She always had the red shoes on the whole time. All she had to do was click her heels. You know, and God was there the whole time for me. I was raised in a family with six kids. I was in a very religious home with the bells and the whistles, the incense vestments, everything that goes on, rosaries and, and just all kinds of stuff going on in my house. My father was a World War II vet. He was a prisoner of war in Germany for 18 months, and he escaped. So the thing is, I've got a father from World War II, and there was so much chaos in my home. The yelling and the screaming and the screaming and the yelling was so horrific. And my mother was really quiet, and they were always snapping towels at each other. They'd get mad, and they'd snap towels, and they would do a lot of drinking too, Right? They never physically harmed me. I, they didn't do that to me. But what I would do is I would run underneath the table because I couldn't stand the noise. I couldn't stand the noise. So what I would do is I'd hide underneath the dining room table because my mother had this beautiful tablecloth. And it would drape over there and I would run underneath there and all my Barbie dolls were underneath there. And that's how I learned to live. I didn't realize that I would literally be under a table one day in my future. You know? <laughs> So, so, so what had happened was, you know, I was this kid that was so shy. I was so, so shy. And I was so, so self-conscious. Don't look at me. Why aren't you looking at me? Don't look at me. Why are you looking at me? I couldn't make up the mind whether you should look at me or not look at me. And what had happened was I, um, I, got, I was so shy 
that if I walked my shoes in the wet puddles going to school, and then you go onto the tile linoleum floors in the school, and your schools, your shoes would squeak, you were all looking at me because my shoes were squeaking, and I wanted to just die. I just wanted to. I wouldn't wear corduroy pants because I don't know about you, but when my when I do corduroy pants, it goes. So you're always looking at me, and and so I was. I was just that kind of kid. I mean, um, my father, my first drink, you know, I remember now that, you know, my father gave me a beer, old Schlitz, down in the in the rumpus room. That's what they called it then was the rumpus room, which is the basement. And that's when my father had my first sip of beer there. But I don't know how old I was. I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. But, you know, I got into high school, and in high school I was I was told I was popular only because I went to my 50th high school reunion. I didn't think I was popular. I didn't think anybody liked me, and I really didn't like them. You know, and I go there, and they're like, hey, Marie, you're just so great. I'm like, really? I could, I didn't really believe them. You know, I didn't believe anything, because the story in my head was nobody likes me, and that's all there is to it. And so if I'm going to dislike you first before you dislike me first. You look at me crooked, I'll give you more of a crooked look. You know, I still have a crease. I've got a wrinkle right here because all I did was this when I was a little girl. My mother said, Marie, you're going to die with this thing in your head. And I guess I am. But, um, you know, by the, time I, um, by the time I got to high school, I had made the cheerleading team, and I was homecoming queen. No, 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 no. I was all of that, you know. And as I look back on that today, it was really a fun time in my life, but it was also very scary. And I was the kind of cheerleader that if you told me to go left, I went right. You told me to jump up, I didn't. I couldn't follow directions, and I didn't know how to follow directions. And I would practice and practice and practice, and I never got it right. I was like a laughingstock on the cheerleading team. You know, and when I was 16 years old, there was a group of them going down to the farm. I was living in Clearwater, Florida. And and if you want to ask me where I'm from, if you got an hour, I'll let you know. Because um, I moved. I'm a corporate orphan. My father had us moving all over. I married a man who took me all over the world. And so at 16 years old, I, I'm down at the beach with Sue and a bunch of friends. And, you know, we pull out the um, Boone's Farm. I think it was peach, but it could have been strawberry, but I really don't know. Or it could have been both. I don't know. And so I took that drink, and, I, you know, I'd love to tell you that, ah, the shyness went away, because I really don't remember. I really don't remember my first drink. But all I, this thing about what I do remember is I want more of that. I want more of that. That was so much fun. I want more of that. And so I searched. So on the weekends, I'd try to go out. But, you know, it was hard. At that time, the, uh, the age was 18 years old to buy liquor at that time. I went and got a fake ID, and they laughed at me when I tried to go into the store and buy some liquor. So I had to hire, you know, get those little guys and say, hey, listen, I'll buy you some booze, booze out. He wouldn't even do it for me. He would say, you're too young. And I was 16, you know, and I always looked a little younger when I was younger. And, um, and so the drinking kind of went on hold for a little bit. You know, I'm high school, and I'm graduating, and, you know, I met this boy. We meet these boys, right? I met this boy, and he played on the baseball team, and he was in my drama class. I mean, he was just so gorgeous. I mean, he was just so gorgeous, and, uh, you know, next thing I know, I'm pregnant. 
you know, how did that happen? But I got, I got prom. I, you know, I don't know about you, but I think there's more pregnancies on prom than anywhere else. And so I got pregnant at prom and, um, my mother, um, I like, I like this man a lot, but he was had, he was going to play on baseball. He was off for a career. And his mother, you know, my mother, this mother told me that I was ruining his boy's life. And I also, my mom and dad, my mother was so disappointed in me when I got pregnant. How could you bring shame on the family like this? How could you do this to me? How could you do this to this family? Well, I ran away to an unwed mother's home down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I gave the baby up for adoption because I didn't want to marry that man, marry, marry him. And I really didn't want to bring a baby back into the chaotic home that I had. And like I said, I was kind of young. I was young up here. I kind of knew that, intuitively knew that. And so I gave the baby up for adoption, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And when I did get the baby, I came back to Clearwater, Florida. And I get home and my mother goes, we shall never talk about this again. And we didn't. My mother died in the year 2000. It was never spoken about from that day forward in front of my mother. What I did is I, I got a job. I, I, was a, I was going off to college, and, you know, college just didn't do it for me, you know. It just, you had to be there on time, and you had to make sure you showed up for class. Uh, you know, I had other fun going on, you know. So I joined, I, I became a server, and I started as a, in a, as a, you know, serving pizza, and then from there I went to cocktail waitressing, and then from there I became a bartender. Oh, my God, I found Nirvana. I loved Tandem Bar. I loved it. You know, I knew a drunk when, you know, I, I serve drunks. I'm not a drunk. See, when I drank, and I began to drink really hard, let me digress a little bit. Before I became a bartender, I got married two years later to the man that I gave that child up with adoption. And this man didn't know anything because I told him the baby died, and I lied about it. And so we got married, and and I um, we get married, and I'm behind the bar, and he's going to college because that's what men do. They, you know, he's got to go to college, and I stay home because my father always said, "Hey, Marie, you don't need to go to school. Just marry a really ambitious man. He'll take care of you." That's what he did. You know, that's what they did back then, I guess. And so what I did is I said, "Okay," and so we got married, and. Um, the drinking progressed then. And what happened is when I drink, I don't know about you, I show up on Route 9, New Jersey, and ask myself, how did I get there? I wake up in the Bahamas, and I have no idea how I got there. All I know, people, is I went bowling. That's all I did. I just went bowling. And the next thing I know, I'm in Route 9 or I'm over in the Bahamas. I ended up in, in the middle of Mississippi. In, um, I don't even remember the town. But I always run and gunned with this one girl. It was always us, and we were both married. But when I drank, it didn't matter. And I was raised with values. And I was raised with a strong faith or religion. I knew what I was doing. My husband, I would call him, and I'd be running late at the bar, and 
Yeah, I went over to Tampa, which is about 20, you know, because they were one, they they closed their bars at 1 or 2 in the morning, and Clearwater closed theirs at 12, and we'd race across the thing to go drink more. You know, and I would, it got to the point where we're drinking, and I didn't realize it was a drink, but what had happened is I started, my husband just started looking really ugly. I had two kids this time, 20, 24 years old, I got two kids, and the best thinking was, I'm just going to leave him and the kids. I don't need them anymore. He'll do a better job raising them. I don't need him anymore. And so what happened was the drinking just progressed to the point where I just didn't care anymore. Just didn't care. So I picked up my belongings and moved down to the beach on Clearwater Beach with a man who peed in the bed, and I thought I was living the dream. To tell you the truth, I'm not really sure it was him or me, but I'm going to blame him. (laughs) Full disclosure here, right? Full disclosure. So I lived on this beach, and on this beach I lost my bartending job because I was stealing the alcohol. I lost um, the cocktail waitress job because I I was stealing the alcohol. I'm losing my apartment because I couldn't pay. I'd kick that guy out, and I'm living alone in an apartment by myself, windows closed, all the drapes closed all the time. I couldn't pay my bills. Trying to, you know, I had a car. And I don't know about you, but I used to hide my car from the repo man. (laughs) I was able to do it for like three months, and then they found me. But what happened is the only job I could get at this point it was a job stuffing out envelopes for value pack. Lost that job because it would started at 8 o'clock in the morning and I had the shakes and the blood would get all over the product and they did not like that. So I didn't have that job and I went back to my apartment. Now, I would stop and see the kids. You know, I'm not proud of it, but I would stop and see the kids But that stopped too. And as I looked backwards, and only looked backwards, the reason I couldn't face my children because of the way I was living. But I was blaming them for the way I was living. And so Dave Dave called me one day. In 1986, I started this journey of sobriety, whatever, abstinence, whatever. I started the journey. And what happened is he called me, and he said, Marie, I don't know what is wrong with you. I mean, he didn't call me. He called me to go to his office, so I went to his office. Now, he's sitting behind a desk. He's got his little suit on, you know, and here I am. I'm looking at him, you know, side-eyed. And he says, um, what? I don't know what's wrong with you, Marie, but something is. Something is. I'm thinking to myself, fell later in life going, that was a smart man. And I said, um, he said, if you don't straighten up, he didn't ask for a divorce and he didn't ask for a separation. But what he did is he said, Marie, there's something wrong with you. And if you don't figure out what's wrong with you, I'm taking away those kids and dogs. I almost had 
died when he said dogs. You know? You can see, I'm going to go backwards. When I drank, if I drank, and I saw a dog in someone's backyard fenced, I would steal it and bring it home. Because I didn't like the way they treated it. That amends was amazing. But, I mean, I, I, took, I took neighbors and people's dogs home. I would see the missing poster, and I'd go, screw you. I'm taking better care of them. And I end up leaving them with my husband, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. And so, um, so I'm, uh, he tells me this, and I gave him, I don't know what you call this, but that's what I did to him. It's an Italian sign, you know. And so I did that, and I um, went back to my apartment that had the eviction notice on it, and I went in there anyway, and I stopped and got the Chablis bottle of wine because it's the only thing I could buy, the big ones, you know, they have the glass ones. I don't know if you remember those tart coffee. And I went to, um, I went home and turned on, flipped on the TV. Now, don't ask me why this happened. I flipped on the TV, and I don't know, EWTN, some Catholic channel was on. And this not, don't ask me why. <laughs> Probably in a blackout. But I, I turned it on, and there was this nun interviewing this priest who was an alcoholic. And I flipped that channel right off. And I walked over to the yellow pages, and I'm looking down. And I go, yeah, I'll give that a, a thing. Because you're in the bar business, you hear about it, right? I'll, I'll give it a call. So I called them, and a lady picks up the phone and says, hey, hi. I said, I think I have a problem with alcohol. She goes, well, honey. There's a meeting at the corner of Bel Air and Largo Road at 7.30. I'll meet you there. I went, click. <laughs> and then the next thing I know is my mother-in-law calls. You know, I haven't heard from Joanne in I don't know how long. And she calls me and she goes, oh, Marie, if you and Dave would just put Jesus in the middle of your marriage, this would be good. And I went, you know, that Italian sign, but I did it in language and a and talking and hung up the phone. And then I saw the treatment centers. Now, I didn't really know much about that because that's in the 80s, you know, and I went to the treatment center. Now, I tell you this story because I went into treatment. I had nothing, nothing. I had no home. I had no car. I had no money. But I was better than you. And I went in there to the treatment center, and I was mistreatment center. I knew everything about alcoholics and, you know, alcohol. I knew they spun me so freaking dry, boom, right into your arms. And I go into, the, I go into my first meeting, and I sat in the way back of the room. And I'm looking at you going, are you kidding me? I'm 31 years old. Are you kidding me? But you know what? I just wanted the noise to shut up. I wanted my family to shut up. That's all I wanted my family to do. It's finally, Marie, I'm going to do this so the family would just shut up. Marie, you, you drink too much. Marie, what, kid, what is wrong with you? That was a famous line from my mother. What is wrong with you? You have two children. And I'll tell you what, I love my kids more than... Oh. When I would tell David I'm going out for two... I meant that with all my heart. 
and I'd end up in the Bahamas. All I did was go bowling. So I'm doing, honey, I'm just going bowling for the night. I'd be gone five days bowling, I'd tell him, you know. So I'm in this treatment center, and I come out, and I get into AA, and I am got myself a sponsor, because you all told me how to get a sponsor, right? I got a sponsor, but here's the good thing that happened. I was able to stay sober for, for five years, right? Right here, right here. I had a pretty good herd when I got there, and I start thinning it out because you're all starting to look ugly. You're all set. If Julia says that one more time, I'm coming across the table, and I'm going to punch his lights out. And what is he talking about? He's over there, and I know he's banging her over there. You know, I had all this going on in my head. I was so disruptive in an AA meeting that I was asked to leave. And I told her where to go when the Italian sign that I know, but I got into the truck and I started crying, and all I did was cry. And I went all the way home and cried, and then I got angry and came back and never misbehaved in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous again, ever. So I'm thinning my herd out. I'm making my judgment. I'm walking out of Alcoholics Anonymous one judgment at a time because I know what's best for me. i got to start taking care of these kids. I haven't... I, with all that, I did move home. Dave stayed on one part of the house. I stayed in the other, and we're going to just figure out what the heck we're going to do with this because I had nowhere to go. We decided in that, in that five years, our marriage got, we were going to marriage counseling. We got the kids. I got everything. We're working at it. We're doing that. But Alcoholics Anonymous and God and the steps were at the bottom of the whole thing. First thing was my marriage. I gotta get this marriage done. I gotta get this marriage done. I gotta get the kids. I gotta get the kids. I gotta get the kids. I gotta get some money. I gotta get, get the kids. I gotta get the family. And I wasn't going into I wasn't going to meetings. I had a sponsor and she was wonderful. She really tried. She tried to really show me these steps through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I wasn't listening. So here I am judging you and I walk off and Dave comes home one day and says, Hey Marie, you want to move overseas? I said, Where? He said, Hong Kong. I said, Oh, where, you know, and um, I had no idea where it was on the map or where it was in the world, and do they speak English over there? And um, they do, because at that point it was run by the Brits. So anyway, long story short, we move over to Hong Kong. It's 1992. You know, I've got the stress of the, the thing. And we went to, uh, we went out. Champagne was handed to me. I'm telling you right now, suddenly, Mr. Suddenly showed up. And I took that drink, and my husband's an Al-Anon. I forgot to tell you that. He's an Al-Anon. And he just watched me, and that got me really mad. And so the drinking progressed, and the drinking got worse. And I'm going to the shadiest places that women shouldn't go. And I'm doing things that women shouldn't do. But see, during the day... You know, I'm all good, but at night, and the drinking just got to the point where the drinking started taking over. Just started taking over. It was like, it was like that flesh-eating bacteria disease that's going on. That's what was happening. And I couldn't wait to get that drink. And my husband wasn't saying anything. And the kids are looking at me with fear. 
So on December 10th of 1994, I went to the Marine Corps ball. You know, I'm dressed pretty nice. And uh, this is all I remember. I woke up in a fountain somewhere in Hong Kong with a man in the fountain. To this day, I really don't know who he is. And two Hong Kong police on either side of me. I don't really remember how and what that happened, and he scared me. And he says to me, what do you do? I said, I don't know what that I do. You know, and he took me home to the apart to the flat, and um, Dave opened the door. And he said, um, the, the officer said, is this yours? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what he said, and I'm just, I'm, I'm really soaked. And, um... He said, unfortunately, yes, it's mine. And my 14-year-old standing there, now see, I started out with these kids who were um, 6 and 10 when I started this journey. Now she's 14. She looks at me and she goes, go, Mom, let's go get you fixed up. You'll be okay. But my 18-year-old son looked at me and he said, Mom, you are such a pig. And for seven years to that voice did not talk to me. For seven years. I'll tell you more about that later. And as they did that, I just went up those stairs, and I went into the room. I just put my head down. Here's my first thought. Screw you, AA. I'm not going back. I'm not going back to you people. Why would I go back to a people? I judged you like you wouldn't believe I judged you. So I'm thinking you're judging me. You're judging me because I judged you. You are the kindest, most caring people I know. But I was judging you, and I thought I was, you know, you judge me because I judge you. You know, it's like that. And so I hung in there. I hung in there. didn't pick up a drink. And on all of this, we're adopting a little girl. And anyway, it's just crazy. And so the next, we had to go back to the United States. And uh, a few months later, and David said, why don't you just stay in Colorado and get, get sober? Get there and get back to the U.S. Get back to the roots of Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, are you kidding me? He said, no, no, just get back there. And I got there, and I get in the plane, and, you know, we've got Bria with me. Bria's a little girl we adopted. She was five years old, and she didn't know lick of English, thank God. And she didn't know lick of English, and... Um, I brought her over in the plane, and then we're going. The, the booze is going back and forth, and back and forth. In those days, back and then, you could booze was freely given. And I leaned my head onto twenty seven A, and I leaned on there that that thing, and I just said, first time in my life, I cried out. And I said, God, you land me down without taking a drink. I promise you, I would belong to Alcoholics Anonymous. I promise you that. Within two hours of landing into Denver after going through immigration and um, our passport control in San Francisco, we got to Denver. And within two hours, I was in a jet lag like crazy in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous because I didn't know what else to do. And I knew I was licked. I was so sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was so tired of it. See, I lost everything and I gained everything. It didn't matter what you, I had the drink didn't matter. You know, when I take that first one, my next one is more. 
So I went down and we went, I went there and I went to a meeting and it was in this little, little town of Elizabeth, Colorado, because I didn't want to go to Denver and anybody know who I was. You know, like, I'm so famous, right? Nobody knows me. Shoot. So I go to that meeting and it was just a beautiful meeting and it wasn't very big and um, I wasn't about to tell them that I relapsed. No, 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 nope, nope. I'm not walking that walk of shame. I ain't telling you, you know, because I judged you so much for picking up, you know, white chips as you do here in the U.S. We didn't do that overseas. And um, all I could do was cry. And I wasn't going to tell them. I was going to keep that lie. And something There was an Indian, this Native American man was sitting next to me, and he packed my back, and he said, welcome home. And I said, how did you know? He didn't know. He didn't know. You know, it's where my thoughts were at that action. You know, he knew. But here's the beautiful part of Alcoholics Anonymous, when it is in its fullest and its greatest glory. As I was leaving that meeting, a woman approached me. She didn't say, here's my number, because if she did that, I would have walked out. You know what she did? She goes, hi, my name is Thea. I'll be your sponsor. My head's going, wait a minute. I'm supposed to find somebody who I can relate to. No. And out comes my mouth is yes. And now this woman, whew, dog. She took me through those steps in the big book. You know, I have an allergy of alcohol. When I take that, I am powerless. Powerless. When I drink, I have no control. None. none. Well, I didn't drink while I was pregnant. Mm -mm. Doesn't count. Because when I pick up that drink, I don't know what's going to happen. And it's not only in Bahamas, and it's not only on Route 9. I don't know what I'm going to do. Who I'm going to say, I might even kill you with my car. You know? And that unmanageability part, she showed me that. She showed me that, and she said, Marie, unmanageability is not the consequences. <laughs> that's, that's easy to notice, Marie. You know, you get a couple of DUIs, you get a couple of that stuff. That's not the unmanageability. The unmanageability, Marie, is when you sit down at that, when you sit down and you have that drink, you think you can manage and control that drink. So, then step two, came to believe. You know, we came to believe. And so through she threw these steps, she showed me. Now I'm going to go backwards here now. You know that lie I told my husband? That the boy died? He's not dead. That was part of the amends process that you all helped me with. That was one of the hardest amends I've ever had. I thought, oh my God, I'm just going to give me another chance here, Really? And he did. Here's a beautiful part of all of that. We found him. He was raised 25, 25 miles from where I lived. And within that, my brother was at his wedding because he knew his wife. Was God in all of this or not? In all of that, I was able to find him. And when I found him, his first question to me was, what do you want? I went, whoa. I'll have your medical history. And I'm thinking, oh, do I tell him I'm an alcoholic? Do I tell him now? No, I don't think it's a good idea. But we met each other. And it was the most beautiful thing. 
the most beautiful thing, and we have a relationship today. He lives, he lives one hour from Fort Myers. He was raised by somebody. He was an orange growers. He's in agriculture. Absolutely loves what he does, and, and he looks just like my daughter, and he looks just like my son. It's so creepy, but it's true. But we have this relationship, and God restored that. You know that boy that didn't talk to me, Paul, for eight, um, seven years? It was you guys. It was you of Alcoholics Anonymous who helped me get through that without killing him. You, you kept my ego in check. And what he did for me, what you did for me, Marie, write him letters. Just tell him you love him. Just tell him you care. Ask him about his life. Who would have thunk? Ask him about some, I'm supposed to ask him about his life? What he didn't, but I'm his mother. And because of that, it was a slow, he would come into the room and he would talk to his father and turn his back to me. To me. I'm five years sober. He, why? It was five before and he saw his mother drink. He didn't trust me. It took him a long time to trust me. And I think at 30 days sober, you should be trusting me. (laughs) Five years, it took seven years for that boy to trust me. And then, the most beautiful thing is we have this relationship. He allows me to to watch his kids. Are you kidding me? He gets me to watch his kids. This is what Alcoholics does, Anonymous does. It restores lives if I'm willing to step away from what I think they should be doing. Darn it, I'm his mother. I'm sober. Look at him with daddy again. We're playing house here. Right? No. It takes time. And it's painful. But through that pain is where my best growth comes. You know, and then, and then this husband, we're married 47 years. Who does that? <laughs> I know, and, um, and I believe Al-Anon saved our marriage. I believe that to this day, Al-Anon did. And Alcoholics Anonymous, you taught me how to be a wife, how to be a mother, I had was not very respectful to my husband, and you taught me. You taught me how to talk to my husband in a respectful way. Did I like it? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'll give you a story. Dave, can you, can you go out there? That tree needs to be cut back a little bit. This just happened. Can you go back there and cut that tree back? You know, it needs to be tree back. Yeah, I'll get it. Now, three months later, that tree's grown like hell. Dave, can you go and cut that? I'll get it. So I call my sponsor. He's not getting the tree cut back. He's just out there. And she goes, why don't you do it? <laughs> Novel idea. Novel idea. So I did, and then he saw that he didn't really like the way the tree was being cut, and so he took over. <laughs> You know, so Dave and I get along really well. We get along, and, and you know, and great sponsorship is, is part of all of it, too. The greatest joy that Alcoholics Anonymous has given me is carrying this message. It really is. Sitting knee to knee with a woman, I love it. I love it. Because I was there. 
and you want to have an experience through the steps, start sponsoring someone. Carry this message. When I lived overseas, I had the great honor, great honor of representing that little place at the uh, at a, at a Asia Oceanic Committee meeting where I was sat at the table with all the, all the countries in the rim of Asia, right? I had no idea how wide and, and how far the tentacles of Alcoholics Anonymous goes. You see it today because of Zoom. But before Zoom, I was Skyping my sponsor because she was from Las Vegas. I was on AOL chats with her, with doing AOL chats. So when Zoom came up, I knew what to do. I knew what to do. And my sponsors, sponsors are looking at me going, what? You want us to what? Zoom. I said, we're going to go all over this world. Watch me, honey. And that really helped. But then when the face-to-face meetings came, I missed you. I missed the touch. I missed the people. You know, have I been to bad meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous? Yeah. If you haven't, you haven't been to enough meetings. <laughs> you know, over there, I not only I sponsor many women all over the world, all over the world, from Australia to England to Portugal to Memphis, Tennessee. Um, you know, so. But in 2013, we moved back to the United States, and I'm very grateful because of the conferences and the people I met, and that's when I was able to ask Beth H. to be my sponsor. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous is a huge, huge thing, huge across the world, and the translations that have happened with the book with the, in the different languages. It's amazing what we can do, and in our own community what we can do. I absolutely love Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was a woman in the back of the room who would make fun of women like me who was thrown out of an Alcoholic Anonymous meeting. It has restored my family. It has restored my faith. I found this God who never left me. Never. He lives deep down within us. I didn't believe that. Because you see, my ego and my mind will tell me I'm not good enough. You see, whether I'm thinking good of myself, very high of myself, or very low of myself, I'm still talking about me. And so I've tried to live in neutrality. And so with that, I think I'm going to go ahead and end. And and I just want you to know I love you all if nobody's ever told you because this saved my life, absolute life, and the trajectory this woman was going on, you know, I'm not afraid of dying from this disease. I'm afraid of living with it and destroying everybody around me. That's the fear I have because dying's easy. But living with it, with the loved ones that love me as much as they do, and I keep hurting them through this disease, I promise you that's where I stay. My, I keep right here, right-sized in Alcoholics Anonymous. I want to thank you all for coming tonight, and just thank you. Thank you, Carol. Thank you.